Uh, it was a floodgate. It was an absolute floodgate. It was incredible. They, their rankings, um, their rankings shot up, which brought them more traffic. And because their site was running faster, they were converting better. Um, and also, uh, their content management teams had an easier time updating stuff on the site. So it was, it just hit absolutely everything. Um, it was that, that, that happens once in a career, I think maybe. <laughs>
Um, so the idea that I could do marketing and use computers at the same time was the greatest thing ever. And at that point I was sold. We very quickly got into doing pure internet stuff, um, started helping clients rank on AltaVista and you know publish copy and content on the internet. Our first client, and I'll, I'll stop ranting about this in a second, but our first client, we helped them distribute their sales manuals uh, using America Online instead of mailing them, shipping them to people. Uh, so that should tell you that, yes, Age of the Dinosaurs, America Online, that is actually where we started um, and just progressed from there. Oh, my goodness. As soon as you said America Online, I heard that actual sound in my head. Yes. You know, yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I had so many of those stupid CDs. I don't know about you. I was using them for coasters. I was using them for everything. Oh, yeah. The ones that came in the mail? For yeah, sure. Yeah. They would just spam you with, right? They would just send them to you constantly. But so you, you you ran Portent, you started it from the AOL days, and you turned it into a, a quite success, quite a successful business. But at some point, it sounds like you're like, you know what, CEO thing, I kind of just, you know, by uh, serendipity came into that role, and I, I ran the business, but I'm really um, jazzed about um, performing marketing. And so I'm going to break off of my own and, and uh, I, for lack of better terms, freelance uh, or consult. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about that transition and like what you're doing now, what you can offer people now? You know, part of it, I loved being a CEO and I have to say, I miss it sometimes. And I, I really miss my team. I mean, they were so much fun to work with. And the interesting thing is as an ex CEO is you don't know how much you should sort of check in with your old team. Like, Hey, how's it going without being a mm -hmm. stalker? Uh, so, but it wasn't so much deciding to move on. It was, you know, Portent grew on the back of its team. And I got very lucky with those two or three key hires who then made two or three key hires and so on. And it hit a point a couple of years ago where the people who were running the company were so much better at it than I was. And I was like, I could stay here. I could be the guy in, the, you know, the old guy in the corner um, handing out sage wisdom and everything. But the truth is this place is functioning really well without me, um, I think it's a good time for me to go and do and try something else. It was just, the timing was perfect. I had sold the agency to a company that, you know, runs it well, not, not runs it well, that lets it run itself really well. Um, I had someone who replaced me, his name is Chad Kearns, uh, mm -hmm. at CEO and also very, very good at his job. Um, the place was just kind of humming along and it made sense. It was a good time to do it. And it worked, I mean, it worked out really well. You know, the agency is doing really well. Um, I'm in a good place being able to do the work that I do, thankfully, even during, you know, the, the complete cluster that the world is right now. So. And when you're consulting, do you ever consult on a business level or is it almost purely just marketing? Uh, I, I actually do a lot of sort of business coaching. So not in the classic, I shouldn't have said that, not in the classic coach sense, but I will work with teams on how to, you know, you're the marketing team. Okay, let's work on how you communicate your your recommendations and performance to higher levels in the company. Or you're the CEO and you're trying to make some sense out of what the marketing team is doing and you need some help directing them. Or more, more often, you're the VP of marketing, you're facing challenges with one or two channels or putting them all together um, Let's sit down and work on that. And then sometimes I'm doing super tactical SEO uh, and super tactical copywriting and content work. Um, it's, so it's a pretty good balance because obviously I've done more and more strategy over the years and it's fun for me to do that and work with teams, but I also like the detective work. 
um, and some of the more tactical stuff. So I kind of get to mix it up quite a bit. Nice. And that's probably a perfect point for you to merge software with your ideology and practices and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. So uh, tell me a little bit about how you take data insights, uh, things like that, and um, use software to kind of help you solve some of these business-related problems. So it's always so interesting because there's some super tactical tools I use. You know, if you're an SEO, you're using crawlers, right? And you probably have a text editor and you're doing some pretty specific stuff with data management and processing. Uh, When you start backing it up a level, the tools I use become more typical. So I'm going to use some kind of spreadsheet and data analysis tool like Google Sheets, Excel, or something a little more powerful than that. Um, Data presentation and information presentation is a whole tool set that I find folks kind of neglect. And it's something I have always used and use more and more now. Uh, the more the more strategic I get with clients, the more I'm coaching them and helping them in how they present data to other people, the more I'm using those tools and demonstrating them to people. Um, and then asset management and information management just for my day to day. You know, now that I don't have a team of, of 50 people who are all responsible for their own stuff, it used to be when that was the case, my responsibility was making sure they all understood how to record and, and access their own information, have it at their fingertips. Now I have to do it for myself. Turns out a lot of what I was telling them was completely wrong. Um, sorry, sorry, everybody about that. But uh, yeah. So you talked about presenting data in a, in a beautiful and understandable way. Uh, and, and are you suggesting uh, people are sometimes neglecting tools like Microsoft BI, Google Data Studio, and things like that? They're neglecting those, but they're also just neglecting the use of their brains. That sounds awful. They don't necessarily have a good grounding in how to use those tools to deliver the data in an easily consumed way. When you start diving down into these more and more powerful tools, there's a tendency and a temptation to deliver more and more complicated uh, reports and deliver more and more complicated and nuanced information and analyses when really you should be using those tools to clarify and make it even easier for people to understand it. So I love Power BI, I love Tableau, I love Google Data Studio, particularly Google Data Studio, I think (laughs) at the price, it's the best thing you're gonna find by far. Um, But just because you can report on 50 more metrics doesn't mean you should. So being super critical about what you're communicating and then really mastering the art of using, going, drilling deep into those tools and the way that they can present data. How do you create the best possible set of charts in a dashboard so that your boss or your executives can look at it and take in that information right away, or your client can take in that information right away. Um, The complexity of these tools lets you do complex analysis, but you should be able to deliver the results of those analyses in a more and more consumable way. I agree a hundred percent. And I think um, sometimes people will take data and, and whatever's, at their disposal and just kind of barf it all over the yes. street for yeah. laugh. I was about to use a term. word like barf or vomit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but the, the trick is getting the insight, you know, what, uh, what valuable nugget of information can you glean from all this? And how would I venture to say that's almost more of an art form? Is that a correct assessment? I think so. You know, if you read books by folks like Tufty, um, and Stephen few, Stephen few, um, you know, they talk a lot about, how there is an art 
to delivering that data and how mastering the tools is so important. Uh, and then, but then mastering how you use those tools to deliver the information. You know, this is something else I talk a lot about with tools is people often start adding tools or changing tools because they feel that a particular feature is missing um, when really they needed to dive deeper into that existing tool and truly master it. Um, that's especially true with data, data analysis and visualization. Almost any tool from Excel to Tableau can provide amazing, amazing, easily consumable um, reporting. And it's just about using it and mastering it. And just because you look at a Tableau ad and case study and see a gorgeous table, doesn't mean you can't do the same thing in Excel. I love Tableau. I mean, anytime I get a chance to use it, I'm ecstatic. But it, you, you shouldn't go and use it just because you know, just because it, it appears that they, it has a feature that maybe your current tool set doesn't have. I went a little bit off track there, but um, no, that's fine. That's the best general lesson I give to people when I am coaching them on how to use tools is don't change tools because it appears there's a feature missing in yours until you're really sure that feature is missing. I agree. Yep. I agree hundred percent. And in staying on the track of software in the marketing world and mm -hmm. the business world in general, uh, I mean, you have lots of experience as we covered earlier in this industry. So over the years, I'm sure you've used all sorts of different software, but now it's 2021. And I'm sure a lot of people want to know what software do you think is a must in the marketing and the SEO fields? So in the SEO field, you've got to have a crawler of some kind. So that probably means you know, either Screaming Frog or uh, Sightbulb or DeepCrawl or, you know, it could be something you build yourself, but I don't recommend that. Um, you need some kind of uh, market intelligence tool set like Systrix or SEMrush or Moz or Majestic, uh, probably two, two of those for their overlapping feature sets. Uh, you need some kind of basic text editor. Uh, I like Adam, but you got to be able to work in text and, and look at at least basic page code. Um, and then something that can analyze large amounts of data. So that might be Excel, Google Sheets. It might be SQLite, which I know is going to make some database folks flinch. Um, it might be all the way up to BigQuery. Uh, and you need analytics, right? Some kind of analytics tool set. Again, starting with Google Analytics and understanding that you can do almost anything with Google Analytics. If you want to move to Onisher, sorry, that I just dated myself, Adobe Analytics, um, great, awesome. Just understand that you're probably not going to add that many features that way. Um, make sure you thoroughly understand your current tool set before you jump up to another. Um, if I'm going to general marketing, then you get to data presentation tools, PowerPoint, Keynote, Google Slides. Uh, again, learn whichever one you need inside out. You need some kind of information sharing tool set. Uh, so that could be a project management tool, uh, something as simple as Basecamp. It could be Slack if you truly learn Slack and learn everything it can really do. Um, some kind of asset management, which can be as simple as Google Drive and well-organized folders. That's usually how I have people start and how I start going up to more advanced systems whose names are so, there are so many of them I can't even begin. Um, you need some form of content management uh, if you're working on a website, uh, and that can be as simple as WordPress. Again, it can do almost everything you need it to uh, or something more complex. And then depending on how nerdy you are, you need some form of performance testing tool set. And that means 
multivariate testing, like, um, uh, I'm completely blanking here. Help. Oh no, dead air, dead air, not dead air. <laughs> um, uh, any one of the, the multivariate testing tool sets out there, um, and some kind of site performance as in site speed testing tool set. And there's a bunch of free tools you can use for that. Like, mm -hmm. well, just Google measure is a good one. Um, yeah, yeah, I was just going to mention that I probably used the same experimentation software stack that you might've used back in the day. And they mm -hmm. completely changed their business model where yeah. it was astronomical pricing where I couldn't even sniff it yeah. because it was so expensive. And so then I, we switched and, you know, we've worked with Google, you know, they have their, was it Google Optimize? I think it might be called. They, well, they um, changed the name. That's why I was blanking. I'm like, oh, Google yeah. Optimize, what's it called now? Um, but Google but changed I, the name of something? I, I yeah, I know. Things. No way. Um, <laughs> Unbounce is another one. HubSpot, you know, those are all yep. good, uh, good multivariate testing tools. Um, yes. And they did change their pricing models. So, yes, for sure. Uh, and I imagine when you talk about these things with, people that are busy running businesses, you know, and they're planning and they're dealing with employees and they only can do and learn so much. And so when you start bringing it up, yeah, you should have a code editor or a text editor. That's almost like a good segue to say, Hey, there's a lot that goes into marketing and business and data. And you need a professional that is tech savvy that can handle some of these more complex things to really get the job done. Well, is that a correct assessment? The, the thing I always tell people is tools don't replace expertise. Um, don't, don't get a tool because you think it's going or a piece of software because you think it's going to replace the fact that you need a great writer or you need someone who can do SEO or you need someone who can understand marketing strategy. Um, you do have to understand, you know, tools can make you more efficient uh, if you already know how to do something. They can't teach you how to do something. Exactly. Well, on that note, what do you think's the most overrated software? So <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to answer that because okay. I, I don't want all the hate on Twitter. What I will tell you is <laughs> I, I, I guess actually, I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't think there's anything overrated per se. I think companies okay. need to think really critically about what they have. Um, people tend to go buy the newest thing without realizing that what they've got now has most of those features. Tell me if you start to realize there's a theme here. Um, mm -hmm. Until you thoroughly understand your current tool set, any new tool is overrated. Uh, perfect. That's a great answer. That's perfect. Good. Let me good flip that. <laughs> I'll flip that around for you. How about I'll make it easy? What about underused or underrated? What What aren't people using enough of? Well, they don't use their brains, and I don't mean to say people are stupid. I just mean you get so freaked out and you're doing so many things at once that it's easy to forget that your best tools, if you just step back for thirty seconds and and think a problem through attack a problem but you know usually the most underrated software is the tools you have uh you have to remember that half your company will hate whatever tools you have no matter what it is what they are um so swapping out a tool simply because people want to change may not be the right way to go um so the underrated software is generally the tools you have now there are some specifics um i think basic web analytics is very underrated i think People don't necessarily understand what you can do with a simple tool like Google Analytics and just how much you can track. Um, I think Google Chrome is a badly underestimated tool uh, in its ability to let you inspect and work with um, page performance and, and play around with things uh, if I'm getting really tactical. But in general, the most underrated software is the stuff you've got available to you. Uh, I, so many times I sit down with someone 
And they're the, the first thing I hear is, I didn't know you could do that with this. Um, and I understand it. I do. You know, you, you're working with this stuff day in, day out, but you, you have a specific use case for it. Uh, but just understand that, yeah, the most underrated software is probably what you've got in your computer right now. And what about custom software? I'm, I'm, we were talking a lot about third party created by, you know, software as a service, you know, things like that. And have you ever in your time in the industry come across custom software that was built specifically for a client that really helped or did the trick for, for marketing or business? So it's an interesting question. You know, at Portent, we actually built our own custom crawler. Actually, one person, Matthew Henry at Portent, built this amazing custom crawler with me pointing and saying, can't it do this? <laughs> um, it's an example of a piece of custom, a custom tool where we didn't have to sacrifice features and power for creating something that was, you know, saleable in the marketplace. So it worked really well for us because it's immensely powerful, but probably not the prettiest thing you'll ever see. Um, I've seen clients who have built specific solutions to problems at scale, like say a client who has a product feed with half a million products in it, and they could go use a product feed, you know, a pre-built tool, but it gets very expensive because they tend to charge by the, the product or by the click or something. Um, they could try to do it by hand, which obviously no, no human being would want to do that. Um, or they can build something themselves. And I have seen cases where that has worked. Uh, where I've seen things generally go horribly wrong is when people build something because there's one or two features that they want to have that they don't, um, that it doesn't. Uh, you know, custom content management systems, custom online stores, those are generally catastrophically bad. Yeah, I don't think I've seen one custom content management system that's been uh, a blessing. I guess yeah. is a, a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So but the times I see tools work well is when they're solving problems of scale. Um, and the, the product feed example is real. Uh, and, and that was, that was incredibly beneficial. Um, we had a client who built a custom analytics solution for a problem at scale. Uh, and that also worked really, really well for them. Yeah. And that, that lends itself to where custom fits in and it doesn't fit in with hi, I just opened up a, a mom and pop shop down the road and you know we're just starting business i think it's more for the businesses that are ready to take that next step and evolve and grow and hire and do all those things that they have growth problems and custom might be able to help with some of those larger companies that deal with those growth problems well and you said evolve and grow and hire and i think that's the important consideration is if you're going to build something custom remember that means that you're going to have to support it yourself forever uh, mm -hmm. And so you've got to make sure you've got the team that can do that and that it's being built in a way that it'll be supportable in the future. Um, and and it, it has to be a truly unique problem. <laughs> you need to be facing something that uh, is so challenging that it's going to be easier to build something new than it is to, to go out and purchase a solution. For sure. And well, Ian, you've been in the business for a while, as we covered twice already. <laughs> um, I don't know why I keep bringing that up, but I did just do. But the reason I, I point that out is because you have such vast experience um, dealing with businesses that have all sorts of issues and have had to solve them. Um, sometimes they've gone from uh, nothing to spectacular or a different phrase, I guess we could say, is they were in software hell or data hell or they were just stuck somewhere doing something an old fashioned way or the wrong way 
and you brought them to a better place. So we like success stories here. And I'm, I'm curious, do you have anything off the top of your head, uh, a good success story we can chat about? Um, if you don't mind, I got a couple that are always at, at front of mind for me. Sure. Um, you know, one was a client who was using uh, a major a major CMS and e-commerce provider solution, let's just say, um, and we're facing terrible problems with conversion and SEO and just about nothing was working as expected. Uh, and we were able to chase down a site performance issue that was based on a configuration issue in this big fancy solution they had bought. Um, and you know they changed this one thing and all of a sudden everything improved. Uh, and I love that kind of thing because you don't in marketing, you rarely find the one lever <laughs> that fixes everything, but we did. So, I, you know, that, that meant we had to live up to that expectation from then on. But it was awesome. It was such a good feeling to be able to do that. Um, and then so the was other... that something was that uh, after you pulled that lever, was that something that was just like, hey, things are a little bit better? Or is it something like, hey, revenue is up 20 uh, percent? It was a floodgate. It was an absolute floodgate. It was incredible. They, their rankings, um, their rankings shot up, which brought them more traffic. And because their site was running faster, they were converting better. Um, and also, uh, their content management teams had an easier time updating stuff on the site. So it was, it just hit absolutely everything. Um, it was that 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 happens once in a career, I think maybe. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, was it uh, something as simple as turning on caching? Yeah, um, it was something like that. Yes. Uh, okay. You don't have to get specific. I was no, just curious. No, you know what? I, I can tell you because I never know how nerdy to get with this stuff. Just say the word interesting if I'm getting too nerdy. Um, but the thing that I, the thing that was going on is they had caching turned on, but they were caching in the wrong place. So they were caching on disk instead of in memory. Um, so they needed to slightly change their server configuration and then change to caching and memory. Uh, so they had to run memcache. Yes, basically. Although it was, I mean, at much bigger scale than memcache. This was this was something built into the software itself. Uh, and I can't oh. say more than that without getting a software provider very angry at me. Um, <laughs> For sure. That's a good story. You said you had a couple of them. What's the other story well, on your top of your mind? The other one was a client who has a lot of local local stores, local providers. And their challenge was data. Um, they were having a very hard time figuring out performance at a local level for things like paid search um, and how foot traffic was adding up to, um, to customers and whether digital advertising was actually doing anything for them and how well each of those locations was actually converting the traffic that was being sent to them. Um, so they, you know, together, um, we all put something together that combined geodata with advertising with store locations. And instead of buying ads at sort of a state or a county or a zip code level, we started buying ads at a much smaller, you know, much more precisely targeted. Um, and they stopped, uh, they stopped cannibalizing and double buying ads and competing with themselves. Um, and that was actually just using Google Analytics. Uh, and it's one of those times when understanding the tool top to bottom uh, was really invaluable. Um, with Google Analytics and then the, the ad platforms, right? Google Ads and Bing Ads and understanding what they could do, but <clears throat> putting all those together. Yeah, and putting all those together is, is great because, um, like you said, you, you put them all together. You can actually have events and 
uh, things in Google Analytics that show your AdWords data and, and vice versa, yeah. correct? Yeah, integration, I didn't even think of this, but integration is possibly the most underrated tool you've got uh, is the ability to pull all that data together. And that's where sometimes a simple spreadsheet and understanding VLOOKUP is all you need. Uh, that's how we started actually on this particular project is we suddenly, you know, we found that, oh, hey, look, there's all this geo data and it's not creepy. It's all aggregate and anonymous, but we can just overlay this with the money we're spending. And all of a sudden we know um, exactly where we're efficiently spending money and where we're not. Nice. And so circling back to what we talked about initially, you, you can probably take all that data and present it to them with the insights that actually matter on a tool like, you know, Tableau or Power BI or Google Data Studio or even something just from spreadsheets, as long as the data itself and the insights itself speaks to that business owner and they can make valuable decisions off of it, you know, that's what matters. Yeah, I mean, we literally gave them a map um, and we used, I think, Google Data Studio, but we literally gave them a map uh, and they were able to, you could click and drill down to you know, very small, like, you know, block by block areas and see how ad buys were working or were not working. That is so cool. And that's a, that's a common problem that I think chain business owners really do have is how can I quantify success from digital advertising in a um, non-digital world, the foot, you know, walk into the door, brick and mortar world. How do we do that? And if you don't want to give away your trade secrets, by all means, don't. Um, oh, is this something as simple as coupon codes or would you uh, rather not say? Uh, there's no trade secret here. Um, some of it was cell uh, mobile device data. Uh, again, not creepy, totally anonymized, but just showing that somebody did a search or clicked an ad on their mobile device. Um, and then, you know, the ad was clicked on a mobile device at this particular location <clears throat> or close to this location. And then we know not that that person made that purchase, but that purchase has happened um, in approximately the same time period in this location. Um, so that was that was a lot of it. Uh, and then just understanding the targeting options, obviously, in the particular ad platforms. Interesting. And what kind of success did this bring your client? Um, that helped them reduce costs. And I can't remember exactly how much. It was over time. <clears throat> but it was something like a 30 or 40% reduction in cost per transaction. Um, it was, it was not subtle. And of course, you know, I'm going to give you the shiny examples, not the ones where we had tiny little incremental gains. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was a pretty profound change for them. That's great. That's awesome. So there's obviously risk reward for any business that's going to rethink their software stack. And in fact, I re recall you saying maybe don't even need to rethink your software stack, just learn how to use it. But there probably are times where some people just aren't using anything or they might need to get something. So what is the risk reward for a business that's rethinking their software stack for marketing and everything else? You can probably tell I'm conservative about it. <laughs> uh, and I am a total tools nerd, so I have to slam the brakes on myself all the time. But the biggest risk is that you're just going to swap one set of headaches for another. Um, you know, the reward obviously is, yeah, you can improve efficiency, get better insight. You can do all these great things. Um, but you got to understand that you, you have to really know that you're not just swapping one set of headaches for another. Um, if you want to get the best possible reward out of it, you need to be, you need to account for the overhead 
right? Because that's part of the risk is you have to account for the overhead of learning a new tool and understand that you can't just roll it out, do one training session with your team or even with yourself and suddenly realize all the benefits. Um, you, you really have to be ready to do that rollout. That's always a risk is how hard is it going to be to teach everybody? Exactly. And sometimes software providers will have onboarding capabilities that do help you out a little bit. They might have specialists that, so it doesn't have to take time off of your plate. You can rely on the software provider. I know that happens once in a while. And when it does happen, it's nice. Yeah. It it can't be their standard training though. I mean, the standard training is a good place to start, but you need someone who's going to help your team solve their problems in, in real time as they're sitting there or at least, you know, pretty close to when they experience the problem. Otherwise, they're just going to go back to doing something else. Um, you know, at Portent, there's a constant education process going on um, around the crawler, right? There, there's always features that people don't know are in there. Um, and we're, we were constantly saying to folks, you know, come ask questions, come ask questions. It's not because, you know, they weren't asking questions. It's because they are so deep into their jobs every day. You've got to constantly remind them that they have this resource. Um, which raises one really important point I got to make. <clears throat> the mm-hmm. problem's very different when you're in a larger organization and you're either a boss or on a large team. Um, you may not have insight into everything, right? The cost benefits, the risk rewards, uh, and that's a whole different thing. And it's a whole management course that I am not qualified to teach, but just be very mindful. It's very different if you're you know, an owner of a small business or a sole proprietor um, versus if you're a, a manager in a bigger organization or an employee in a bigger organization. Oh, that's that's an excellent, excellent point. And I, I actually, I appreciate you as a business owner. I appreciate you bringing that up as well. Um, any last little advice for anybody who's listening on uh, wondering if they should really embark in on improving their, their software and how they approach it? Just, you know, do your research, be hypercritical, um, don't get paralyzed in the analysis process, but don't change for the sake of change. Um, understand the cost. Uh, it may be that the tool you're looking at is incredible. And in fact, that's very likely, <laughs> um, but just understand the cost of making that change, not just in dollars, but in, you know, the time it will take to learn that new tool and make sure that you do, you, you know, you're getting everything you can out of your current tool set. Perfect. And now I'm looking at uh, the next section of what we're doing here is the lightning round. And uh, in case you don't know, it's just five uh, rapid fire questions. First thing that comes to your mind, um, there's no such thing as a wrong answer. It's just us getting to know you a little bit better. Are you ready to dive into it? I'm a little afraid, but okay. (laughs) Okay. The first one's an easy one. And it's the one I ask everybody that comes on this podcast. What is your favorite food? Oh, that is an easy one. Kit Kats. Thanks for thanks for throwing me a softball first. <laughs> um, so Halloween must be your favorite uh, uh, ho- holiday, then, correct? Um, no, because then everyone's trying to take away my Kit Kats. Uh, it's <laughs> the rest of the year is my favorite because nobody cares, and I can just eat my Kit Kats. Uh, that's the best answer I've heard. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, next question. What's one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? Um that the nerd factor is not really what makes you successful after this whole discussion. Um, the way you work with people is, and I, I cannot say, and I know anyone who's been doing this for less than five years is rolling their eyes. Like, sure. Everybody tells me that I cannot emphasize enough how being able to work with a group of people 
um, and, and put your own, your own biases aside professionally is the most powerful tool you'll ever have. And that's a whole other podcast I know, but that is the one piece of advice that I wish I had had. Oh, the other one is it's better to make more money than you're spending. Um, that's definitely a sound business plan. Uh, so <laughs> two important factors. But there's shiny things to chase. Uh, you know, there are, and you should, but just understand that they better not cost more than they earn you. Uh, otherwise, your, <laughs> your business is not going to last very long. Well, that is some sage wisdom. Um, <laughs> all right, next next question for you. Who are the three people who have been most influ- influential to you? Oh, boy. I'm just trying to think of something that's not cliche, but I can't. Um, you know, my parents are both PhD scientists who are also... Uh, who are also very good communicators. And that really kind of shaped me a lot, you know, having the computer on my desk in 1978, but also, you know, having really drummed into me how important it was to be a good writer. um, That completely changed me. I I would not be able to do marketing the way I do it now, uh, where I can do SEO and site crawls, but still be able to, you know, write a decent blog post if I hadn't had that mix. Um, Nice. You know, Seth Godin, pretty influential for me. Uh, his approach to marketing uh, really kind of shaped mine and also agrees with mine. So it's great to look at his stuff and say, look, here's this important person who thinks the same way I do. So you should pay me. Uh, that's a good one. Um, and then I was a history major. So I would say, you know, probably one or more of our presidents, you know, Abraham Lincoln, who I know a lot of people look at as a as a role model, his ability to bring together people who had contrasting viewpoints. If you ever look at his his cabinet, you wonder how they got anything done, um, and turn that into a uh, into a strength. You know that 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 was very uh, that's pretty profound to me. Um, and then Neil deGrasse Tyson, because he's able to take science, and that's four people. Um, his ability to take science and communicate it in a consumable way, you know, is obviously something I'm going to admire a lot. That's cool. All right. A couple more questions. First mm-hmm. one, what is the one common myth about your profession or field that you want to debunk? Um, there, that there's a secret to what I do. Uh, there is not a secret, not to marketing, not to SEO. Um, there is not some handy dandy list, you know, in the end, problem solving, um, really great communications, Endless learning, um, those are what make it work. Uh, you know, anyone who tells you that they have the secret recipe for a number one ranking on Google is so utterly full of crap. Just don't even return the call. Don't reply to the email. Um, that that's why so many practitioners of marketing and SEO or any of the other disciplines and their clients get victimized when an algorithm changes or the markets change or a company changes its ads policy because. They're looking for that secret. So they find that one lever to pull, which like I said, is a once in a career event um, and they keep pulling it. And when someone takes that lever away, uh, their entire model collapses. Um, the other half of that myth is that this is easy. You know, look, I went to law school. I was raised by two of the nerdiest parents on the planet. I've used computers since I was nine. Um, and this isn't a brag. I'm just saying I- I'm a nerd with a lot of training and I still find this stuff incredibly difficult. Um, it, there is no recipe for it. So it's, it's the, it's that, that is the myth that I fight the most often. Mm-hmm. The secret sauce magic recipe that these cloaky, 
marketers possess and they secretly know how Google works, but nobody else does. <laughs> right. I mean, look at all the best people in our industry, right? Not one of them will come to you and say there's a secret. None of them will. Or they'll say there's a secret, but we don't know it. And nobody else does mm -hmm. either. Um, you know, those are always the most successful people. They're always the people you want to work with. And you know that just from talking to them. Um, so it's good to just understand that. Perfect. All right. Last question. Hopefully this is an easier one. Uh, what does your future hold? <laughs> That's an easy, how exactly is that an easy one? Um, you know, I'm going to be doing this for the foreseeable future. I'm having so much fun doing it. Um, I am working on a couple of writing projects, but <clears throat> I, I anticipate consulting for, for quite a while. That's great. So on that note, how do people get in touch with you? Um, so you can find me on Twitter. It's just at Ian Lurie. It's I-A-N-L-U-R-I-E. You can also just email me, um, ian at ianlurie.com. And I always answer. Ah, perfect. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, yeah, no, thanks for inviting me, Ryan. This was, this was really fun. All right, thank you.